Welcome back to Mountain Murders. It's a holiday week, so we're feeling sassy and decided to put together kind of an extra story as a special like thank you to our listeners. Uh, yes, um, we were just uh, looking at everything this evening, talking together. You know, hadn't seen each other all day, but we've both been kind of watching things happen there online and um she was like let's just do a uh a, a little thank you episode something pull you know she had a story she'd been working on that um one of our uh listeners there tj had mentioned recently and uh, she pulled out her old note she has a bunch of notes she gathers up and builds on and builds and uh now here we are to say thank you to our listeners this is our special edition yeah well you know i was thinking about that this week being like the fourth of july a lot of people take vacation this week so maybe you're enjoying the podcast while you're lounging on the beach or perhaps you're pulling a kenny powers and you're at the lake on your jet ski whatever you're doing this week you know maybe you got some extra content you can listen to while you relax pop the top on a beer Maybe you're uh, sitting by the campfire, whatever you're doing. Maybe um, listen to the podcast. Exercising your freedoms by listening to a wonderful podcast of your choice. America! Fuck yeah! <laughs> okay, so Dylan, before we get started, you have some patrons to thank. Yes, this is our, uh, we're going we'll just call this our thank you episode, and I'm going to start with uh, the patrons who have, uh, we really thank because they uh, give us a little bit of their hard-earned scratch. Um, let's start all the way back with uh, April Robertson. She jumped on the wagon early, very early on. Bill thanks, S- April. Yeah, thanks, April. And uh, Bill Smiles. We love you, Bill. Bill was there in the very beginning. And um, thank you very much, Bill. And Mr. Tim Tweed. Thanks, Tim. Um, that's a double T. I'm going to call him double T because that's an awesome name. T2. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And uh, we have a little more recent Recent patrons jump on here, uh, Mr. Christopher Jarrett. Now, he's a super patron. Yeah. Yes, yes, sir. I will be by later with a plate for you of dinner. Um, <laughs> thank you, Christopher. Him, you're going to cook him some supper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, some well, really well, good well, southern cook food. I was going to say, well, what would you whip up? Because you're actually a really good cook, Dylan. Like, what, um, what are you going to make our, our favorite patron here? I'm not sure what Mr. Jarrett's into, but if he likes Southern home vittles, I will, you know, whip up some country country oh style my God, steak. You should make him a fried chicken and uh, fry him some chicken. Your fried chickens and some uh, the tits. some taters. Yeah. And this time of year, we get some good maters. You know, see how this is working. Oh my God, I'm gonna have to give him some freezer jam or something. And we could get some of those strawberries from up the road there at Darnell Farms which are uh, regionally known as the best strawberries in the region. And uh, you can make strawberry jam. Yeah. So and we could get a whip while we're there. Uh, yeah. Dream whip. Okay. Uh, we're just kidding around, but uh, we are actually going to do some type of uh, collaboration with Mr. Jarrett there on an episode. He's going to weigh in, give us his two cents when we get everything figured out. So thank you very much, Christopher Jarrett. And Mr. Gary Ramsey, a good friend of ours, and uh, here at Mountain Murders and personally, and uh, he may be working on a little bit of uh, original music for us. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, Gary. We'll be talking to you soon. Mr. Nathan Cartwright. Sorry, my computer made a little weird noise. We'll just edit that out. No, I'm kidding. We won't. We'll just leave it in. Go no, we, this is raw. <laughs> this is an unplugged edition, guys. It's just going to come at you fast and dirty. Is that bad? Or is that good? But yeah, it's just going to come. Sounds like what's going to happen in a couple hours. Oh, oh, oh daddy. Oh. Okay. Uh, uh, Mr. Nathan Cartwright, thank you, good sir. And we will try to uh, keep this thing fun for you guys because we really do appreciate you taking a moment, believing us just a little bit. It means a lot to us. Yeah. You know, we've even thought about um, through Spreaker, you know, which is like our hosting site, um, you can actually have a live podcast. And we've actually we even we've considered possibly doing a live show. That sounds really so fun. So that could be something fun in the works. Yeah, you could totally hear how completely ridiculous we are. Because trust me, like we're worse than this in our normal life. Yeah, she makes me stop, guys. She's holding me back. Yeah, I, d- I do kind of have to keep you on a leash, but I'm your wife. That's what I'm supposed to do. So you ready to get started with the story? Because I think this is a kick-ass story. I'm excited about it. I am. Let's uh, go ahead and lay it out there. So this is actually a story that I heard about some years ago, and I thought it was so fascinating that I wanted to share it with you guys. Had it on my list of stories, true crime stories, and then as Dylan mentioned before, we had a uh, fan, a listener, um, bring it to our attention. Hey, you guys should cover this story. And I was like, man, that's already kind of in the in the works there, so let's just put this show together. And so here we are. And so first of all, this is a really kick-ass name for a house. It's like something out of a horror movie or like a wacky theme park or something. Uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You told me about this um, when we first met, actually, when we were talking about uh, our love of true crime. So and, this um, story, yeah. yeah, takes place in Georgia. So we're actually getting out of our comfort zone, if you will, of Western North Carolina and venturing down to Somerville, Georgia, but still in the, you know, I was in the northern Northwest Georgia, exactly. So still part of the uh, Appalachian region, if you will. And that's the cool thing about mountain murders as we have kind of been focusing a little bit more on Western North Carolina because, hey, that's where we're from. So we're familiar with a lot of these stories, but we're going to venture into Georgia. We've got some stories in Tennessee, Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia. So we're going to be covering the whole mountain region. So Corpsewood Manor is the kick-ass name of a house. I would mail letters every day if I lived at Corpsewood Manor just to take it to the person at the post office. Yeah, I would invite everyone over. Like, oh, and I would have to, like, walk around in one of those really fancy bathrobes with, like, the feather boas and stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, waiting for my husband to come home. I can serve him a martini here at Corpsewood Manor. (laughs) I'd have to change my name to Buffy or Cricket or something. (laughs) Anyway, well, this is the name that was given to this hand-built hideaway. And some people call it a mansion, but... Let's be honest, it's more of a kind of a crudely constructed mini mansion, if you will. So it was uh, just like a rough around the edges, off the grid kind of thing? Yeah, and I'll get more into that here as we uh, go on with the story. But basically, this home was constructed for these two lovers who wanted to escape the hustle and bustle of city life. We're going to begin the story with uh, a little background on Dr. Charles Lee Scudder. He was born in 1926 in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And I'm probably not saying that correctly. Yeah, I apologize to anyone near that area from Wisconsin. She just really, um, you like that? I just said Wisconsin. What's well, like, whoa, Wasoda? I don't know. 
<laughs> but it's Wisconsin. <laughs> and he was born 1926, um, you know, fairly wealthy parents. I mean, he didn't exactly grow up in poverty. He was kind of, I guess, accustomed to having, you know, things, some uh, money in the family, you know, luxury, that kind of stuff. And so in the 1940s, he began college um, at Oberlin College, which is a pretty well-known school. And he was really active in the drama department. You know, he really liked performance art, and he was also um, a very talented harp player, harpist. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the harp scene's uh, it's a little rougher than you might imagine, the traveling harp player scene. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But we'll get into that later. Okay. I was just thinking, like, is that, like, the new hip thing to do, is to be a harpist? Oh, my God. If It totally should be, just so you see hipsters struggling kick, kicking around, harp. dragging their harp around yeah. downtown. But it, popping their harp on the back of a Vespa. Yeah. As they're, like, trying to zip through the city doing 35. Yeah, comically. Yeah, I feel like that could be like a Portlandia episode or something. Definitely, They need to pay me for my idea there. But anyway, um, I would like some royalties. So he was really active in the drama department. He eventually married a classmate from Oberlin. Her name was Helen Hazlett, and she was from Chicago. And that marriage actually didn't last very long. Ended fairly quickly. Dr. Scudder, I mean, before he was Dr. Scudder, um, really intelligent guy. Always reading, always studying, very inquisitive, uh, you know, reading philosophy and science books. And just, you know, everyone described him as just having this, you know, just this really overwhelming, like, immense amount of knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, probably would want him on your trivia team type of thing. So he's impressing other smart people. Yeah, but he was also described as really eccentric. Like, he had a really kind of fucked up personality, fucked up uh, sense of humor. Okay. So, I, from what I read about this guy, I think that we would have liked him a lot, probably got along with him. Yeah, I was like, I want to hang out with this dude. Yeah, like, he was always making really, like, weird, dry jokes. And, he, like, he wanted to go out of his way to, like, make people feel awkward and uncomfortable at parties and would just say kind of really off-the-wall shit to people just to get a reaction. Ah, yes. So, my kind of guy, he was like a troll before trolling was a thing. So I'm into that. He's a face-to-face troll. <laughs> yeah. So really smart guy, you know, continued with his education kind of throughout life. Um, he had degrees in zoology, chemistry, languages, and then he went on to get a Ph.D. in pharmacology, thus Dr. Scudder. Then it was in the 1950s that he married Bortai Bunting and had four kids. And this Bortai lady that was his second wife, she was like the daughter of a famous British poet, Basil Bunting, or Basil Bunting, I guess. I don't know. A lot of British people say Basil, so I don't know if he went by Basil or Basil, but there you go. He was a poet. And they had four kids, Sal, Gideon, Fenris, and Ahab. Um, so they had the four sons. Wow, I feel like they could be like in Hollywood with those names nowadays. <laughs> right. But, you know, that marriage was, you know, I guess not perfect. They had issues, problems, and eventually divorced. And Scudder studied under Dr. Alexander Karsmar um, at uh, Loyola University in Chicago. Yeah. And... Once he graduated, he became an associate director for the Institute for Mind, Drugs, and Behavior. 
which sounds pretty psychedelic, right? Yeah, it sounds like an awesome little college institute. Well, he was described as being, you know, eccentric by his friends and colleagues. I guess there was some experimentation going on with like LSD and the effects of that on people's psyche. And you got to remember, I mean, this is like in the late 50s into the 60s when, you know, there's... uh, MK Ultra. Well, there's that. And yeah. of course, you got the like electric Kool Aid acid tests. And, yeah, and you got the dead Timothy were actually Leary there. And yeah, and, all and of they that. were the dead going around and um, Jerry dosing unsuspecting crowds and party goers all around him and thinking it's hilarious. That was kind of weird. Dosing the Playboy audience when they were on TV and whatnot. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> yeah, uh, one of our, yeah, Disgraceland guys. You should check that out. But yeah, Jerry was a butthole. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of hanging out and a lot of LSD going on. I'm getting right off subject here, but I feel like butthole is so much more like of an insult and just super grody than to call someone an asshole. Yeah, because see, when you call someone a butthole, you're thinking like, I didn't quite get wiped all the way and there's like little pieces of toilet paper. Okay, and, okay, okay. Oh, stop. okay. See, like asshole has like a reverence to it, like you've earned that, and like you're somebody, like you're doing something. Okay, yeah, I got off subject. We're gonna I'm okay. Gonna, I'm gonna see, reel this, this is, back in. Okay, yeah. So, okay. So back to Doctor Scudder. So he's like, you know, doing these little experiments with these mind uh, behaviors, drugs, psychology, and of course he's a pharmacist, so he's in the lab mixing up stuff and dosing people and studying them to see what the effects are. So, you know. So it was just another Friday night. guy, right? Yeah, sounds like they were having fun. Well, it was after his divorce that he hired this fella named Joey Odom to be his, like, nanny slash housekeeper. The guy lived with him, helped raise his four sons, and they were also lovers. So they were more than just, you know... Um, employee and employer kind of thing, which would explain that, you know, he had these two failed marriages, you know, because he was homosexual. That was his beards. Yeah. So um, Scudder, as I mentioned, was fairly eccentric. And, you know, this is during like the 50s, 60s. Um, Colleagues described him as just being such an odd bird at that time. He would come into work with like hot pink hair. He would dye his hair purple, red. I mean, this was not something. I mean, nowadays everybody has colored hair, but yeah, but I bet he really stood out and left a more impression on people back well, in the especially late fifties, early sixties. Academia. I yeah. mean, think about it. He's a you know like a professor. He's a doctor, brilliant, PhD, respected scientist. You know this phenomenal like brain, and then here he is like hot pink hair. He also had a pet monkey that he kept. That was just very um, strange for a lot of people. And he had this really um, big house in Chicago. was described as a mansion um, in a neighborhood that I guess sometime in like the 60s started to kind of shift um, from, you know, maybe a more moneyed neighborhood to kind of turning into like high crime and that sort of thing. So he's living in this sort of crumbling, decaying mansion, throwing lots of money at the repairs and trying to get it, you know, back where it needs to be. And I guess he's just getting really frustrated with that. Um, People described his home as being furnished with these, like, big, dramatic, Baroque pieces of furniture. And there was some theater in Chicago that had gone under, and he went in and, like, bought all of the decor in this theater. So it was just really dramatic. Lots of velvet. Yeah, he's a really dramatic guy. 
as I said, he did drama, you know, in college and was into performance art and just really eccentric. So he had this big home full of fancy, like funky antiques and that kind of thing. And as I mentioned, he was the accomplished harp player, which, you know, you don't hear about that every day. So in 1975, when all of his kids were basically grown and out of the house, I guess he's got the empty nest. He and his partner, Joey, decided to purchase some land and they looked for land in the south and they found some land in Chattooga County, Georgia, which, as we mentioned, this manor is going to be built in Somerville. And he ended up buying 40 acres and this is uncleared property. Basically, it was just 40 acres of rough-ass woods. Yeah, so totally raw, untouched. Yeah. Ready to go. Some serious logging, no water, electric sewer, none of that. I mean, it's just, you know, it's basically just forest land. So he purchases 40 acres. And on his 50th birthday, he resigned from Loyola and moved to land in Georgia giving up most of his worldly possessions. So, like, just sold everything, moved. He was just ready to get off the grid. He was tired of, like, slaving away in a lab, working at this college, paying all this money out for taxes, bills, this mansion that he's got to maintain, and now his kids are all gone, and he's, you know... And all the while, the neighborhood's changing. He doesn't seem to like it. The way it's changing... And uh, he's just ready to get away from the rat race. Which a lot of people do. And that's one of the attractions of the mountains and in this region. A lot of people just want to get away from that busy lifestyle and have a breath of fresh air. He wants to go logging with his boyfriend in the woods of North Georgia. Paul Bunyan. That was a double entendre. Nobody? I'm just... <clears throat> Okay. I'm just ignoring you. As Let's I do this. Do. Somebody out there heard, got that. They'll get it. Okay. Enough, Dylan. So back to the story. Buys this land, sells all of his things, ends up moving down to Georgia. He and Joey lived in a camper basically for like two years while they hand built their home and, you know, tore down trees, cut down trees. So they're making their, their own brush, wood and everything. Like just, Yeah. So two years it took them because they, you know, they did all this work by hand. That's pretty awesome if you really think about it. I mean, even, you know, that is awesome. And it took them 45,000 bricks to build this home. Scudder even wrote an article for the uh, March-April 1981 edition of Mother Earth News about the hand-built home that they ended up naming Corpsewood Manor. And it was pretty interesting how they got that name. They said that when they arrived there, it was winter. I guess there was snow on the ground. The trees were all dead. And so all of these, like, creaky, like, trees are, you know, blowing in the wind and whatever. And then it looked like something out of a horror movie. So they called it Corpsewood Manor. And they actually lived on, I think it was called like Dead Horse Road, because when they first pulled up, there was a dead horse on the side of the road. That is awesome. That was like the first thing they saw when they pulled up to their property. So they ended up naming that road like Dead Horse Road. So these guys have like a wacky sense of humor. Colorful story. Because I'm like, that sounds like something that, you know, we would do. Dead Horse Road. Anyway, Scudder, Joey, and their two English Mastiffs lived in this, you know, quote-unquote mansion, uh, mini mansion, if you will, but it had uh, like a pink gargoyle kind of at the top of the house that overlooked Joey's rose garden. Apparently, Joey was quite the gardener. Um, they had no electricity, no running water. They used a wood stove for cooking. They had a kerosene refrigerator, and they used a chemical toilet. 
So they are really living off the grid. And they're doing some homesteading as well. They had a big garden. They had grapevines, fruit trees. They eventually got chickens. And they even ground their own flour and started doing some beekeeping. Wow. Yeah. They became known as this sort of, you know, quirky, fun couple in town. I mean, of course, it was the 70s into the early 80s. You know, rural North Georgia, a lot of people would whisper. There was a lot of gossip and rumors about them. But then once people kind of got to know them, neighbors and whatnot, they made a lot of friends. They would entertain quite often. People said that um, Joey was a really great cook. And, you know, they would invite folks over for dinner. They would serve them. Uh, Dr. Scudder had began making wine because he had these uh, muscadine grapes. So he would make all this muscadine wine. And he was kind of known as the winemaker. And he was really hospitable. And just they were really great hosts and would invite people over to have wine. And so everybody knew, like, oh, if you get an invite to Scudder's, you're going to get to go have some wine with him. Great food cooked on a wood stove. Send you home with wine. So it just sounds like that they were just fun-loving kind of people. Easy going, you know. The house itself, as I mentioned, kind of a mini mansion, but maybe kind of a crude version of a mini mansion brick house. The house was decorated with a lot of art. And this art specifically was like satanic art. They had a, he had a lot of sigils because uh, Dr. Scudder enjoyed art creating, that kind of thing. So he would make stained glass pieces, um, um, I'm not sure, and I'm sure some other people might want to know, what's a sigil? Sigil. Well, now you've got me, like, uh, on the spot, Dylan. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought, well, yeah, oh. Well, I mean, like. Is it, isn't that symbol? Is that symbols? symbols. Okay. Like, usually in the. Okay, that's what like, I thought. the occult community. I know, I'm just like, do I need to give you, like, a definition? <laughs> They're, like, symbols in the occult community that represent different things. And, um, you know, in a lot of um, black magic and spell casting and that kind of stuff. Okay. Sigils are often used as part of spells and that sort of thing. And so, Dr. Scudder, this brings us to the point that Dr. Scudder was really interested in the occult. And actually became a card-carrying member of the Church of Satan. And now some folks dispute that he wasn't really like a Satanist, that he was just an atheist, but he was such a curious, inquisitive kind of person that he joined because he just wanted more information, wanted to know what they were about. And he had this fascination with like this black magic. Symbolism, things, yeah. Yeah, he just thought it was interesting and, you know, Mm. wanted to kind of dabble in it just really more for like the, I guess, the thrill and the philosophical side of it, that kind of thing. But, you know, a lot of people also don't understand that um, Satanism is not a uh, belief in, like, supernatural kinds of powers. So there are a lot of people who are atheists that kind of fall into Satanism because it's not like there's a supernatural good and evil kind of concept. Yeah. See, I was wondering if he was the, um, you know, nowadays they have the more, um, the one based on like math and it's more of a political movement and, and science. And then they have the... Uh, like Crowley, right? And this was like old Le- school, right? And this was Church of Satan, so this was Levian. So it would be Levian, okay. And so we had the house decorated with a lot of art, sigils, pentagrams. As I mentioned, he had this big gargoyle statue, which was painted pink. Yeah, he, he probably enjoyed all that as well, with just the shock, because you know, especially back then and leading into the eighties, we had the Satanic Panic then that. Um, just people see these symbols. They're not familiar with them and they're scared, you know, 
So he probably enjoyed all that, uh, you know, all those symbols and things just because it freaked people out because he liked them, you know, make them weird. Well, weird yeah, out. again, he was kind of into that shock factor. Um, and then there are also some photos, which I'll post on our Patreon page, of items inside the house. I mean, he had a lot of antiques. Um, he had a bed that was beautiful, um, kind of like a big sleigh bed. But in the headboard, it was like carved with these kind of gruesome, demonic looking, satanic kind of faces. Wow. So he just really liked that kind of art and used much of that to influence, you know, his decor throughout Corpsewood Manor. Well, on November 1982, um, there was a 17 year old boy named Avery Brock, and he was out deer hunting on the property. Um, I guess not really paying attention to the fact that, you know, this is owned by someone. He So he's trespassing, he's hunting. But, you know, Dr. Scudder and Joey were pretty laid back about stuff, so they weren't really annoyed when they found him deer hunting on the property. Uh, they actually were quite the opposite. They were very cordial. They offered him wine. They invited him in to the house to hang out. And so he kind of became like a friend and began sort of coming over to the house, hanging out enjoying the wine, enjoying good company. So he stumbled upon some friends, interesting, quirky friends, I'm sure. I should preface this also with, so there was the main house, which was the brick house where they lived. Then they had what they called the chicken house. Now it sounds like a brothel, but it was like a two-story um, kind of building. And the top floor, they called the pink room. Hey. Yeah, well, it was because someone had given them some paint, like right. extra paint, and it just happened to be pink, so they just didn't give a shit, and they painted this room pink. That's perfect. But I guess the pink room is where they entertained guests because they didn't allow people into the actual home, like where they lived. Okay. For whatever reason. So anytime they would have guests over, friends over, they only entertained them in this pink room, which supposedly only really housed like a few mattresses and like a space heater and just a couple things like that. So it was like a literal chicken house, and they added to it. Yeah, so this so, is like kind of a party pad, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like a more of a clubhouse kind of thing. So this is where the guests would hang out. So when Avery Brock would come over, hang out, drink wine, chill, he would hang out in the pink room and never once went inside the manor. There's been some insinuation that Avery Brock, Scudder, and Joey had some kind of sexual relationship going on that Avery had been intimate with both Scudder and Joey, and maybe even both together kind of thing. And there was even some rumor that there might have been, like, maybe some money exchanged. So almost right. like Brock might have been kind of working as a John, almost. Or that Scudder kind of offered him money in exchange for sexual favors, and he kind of agreed to it. That yeah, sort okay, of situation. So Scudder and Joey... Our are couple. the Johns. Well, yeah. I guess. He's kind of, he's, so here's this, this guy. He's like, oh, I'm just hunting deer, guys. What's up? And next thing you know, he's got all their money. Yeah. I mean, maybe. That's some of the rumor, but I well, don't know. Could you that's... see it? Like a flannel? Like cut off sleeves? Yeah. Yeah. So, again, there was some insinuation that Brock, Scudder, and Joey had these sexual encounters. And so one evening, um, Avery decided to bring his friend Tony West over to hang out. And now, Tony West was a career criminal who spent a lot of time in and out of jail. And Tony had actually just been released for serving a stint because he had shot his uncle in the back um, during a poker game. 
Yay. Because his uncle pissed him off, shoots his uncle. But this guy's been in and out of jail basically his whole life, like since he was an early teen, just kind of a troublemaker, you know, yeah. always into something. And so when Brock was telling Tony West about these new friends, he was like, you know, hey, we're going to go hang out with these folks. They're gay devil worshippers, you know. And so he just, that's how he would talk about, oh, they're these gay devil worshippers, just on and on. And so, you know, Shudder was, or Scudder, Shudder, Scudder was involved with the Church of Satan. But again, you know, who's to say if he was really super into it or if it was more of just kind of like a, Right. Study or something to kind of shock people. The two men started hanging out over at Corpsewood, but they were, of course, only allowed up in the pink room. And one night in particular, they're partying and drinking wine and whatever. West passes out only to wake up and find his friend Avery Brock and Scudder engaged in an intimate situation. Uh oh. Yeah. And Brock was really embarrassed about this. He was so embarrassed by what had happened. You know, quickly began stating he wasn't homosexual. It's not what you think. Sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. Exactly. Sleepcocking. Okay, Dylan. How you knew that was <laughs> that was a natural. That was a natural. Um, that had to happen. I'm gonna give you a hard no on that. Okay. See what I did there? Hard put him. Okay. Hey, if you're asleep, you can't control it. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> You each keep your thoughts to yourself. So Brock was embarrassed. You know, he's he's not homosexual and began to tell Wes he had been taken advantage of. Oh, well, they got me drunk and made me do this. I think he drugged me. This was not consensual. Like an hour, 45 minutes later, I was like, you've got to stop, guys. <laughs> well, Wes and Avery began to, you know, talk about the situation, talk about these two you know, quote unquote, like weird guys out in the woods. I mean, the fact that they were homosexual coupled with their Satanists and they live in this weird house and they're just oddballs. And, you know, here this scudder is like forcing himself upon you and you're only 17 and all this. Um, Wes decided that scudder needed, needed to die. That's that was the conclusion so that he came up with. And so Avery Brock kind of continued to goad Tony, you know, that the owners of the house were really rich. Well, obviously they don't work. They must have money. We're never allowed inside Corpsewood Manor. We're only allowed in the pink room. So clearly they've got money and that they're hiding in the house. And they actually did have some antiques that were, you know, pretty valuable in the home, like as far as some furniture and things, but not the cash on hand, the cash money hose, the, uh, the rapper lifestyle, um, that these two, you know. Yeah. I mean, basically what guys in reality, had envisioned. Scudder had taken what, you know, little money he had left and constructed this, you know, strange cobbled hand cobbled creation out in the middle of nowhere off the grid, you know, so there, there's no power, you know, so they're. they're well, yeah, they're completely they're, self-sufficient. Right. And so, and you know, they've used no up, electri- they don't have any bills. They don't have electricity. They're growing their own food, all of those things, you know, so of course they don't have to work because they're self-sustained pretty much you know? right and, and and yeah but you know it's just crazy that it's going down this path now when i'm going to guess that was likely consensual relations and he got yeah. embarrassed because i guess it was the the hard nut prison guy right seen him mm-hmm. and 
Instead he of was just, like, you only do that when you're in jail, boy. Yeah, you only do that if you're in jail more than 24 hours. Oh. Right? Yeah. Cause, yeah. And if you stop 48 hours before you go home, it's okay. You're still hetero on the street and a possum in the sheets. Okay. Okay. Do you think they met on the bowl? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'll explain that to people if they have not seen it. Jailbirds. Jailbirds on Netflix, guys. You gotta, you gotta, you've never seen romance quite like this. But, um, yeah, so, you know, so all good to go out there and hang out and, you know, drink their wine and take advantage of hospitality. And now, just because the guy's uh, either A, embarrassed or whatever, not even sure about what himself, you know, sure about what he wants or, you know, identifies as. Now they're going to, you know, this is going down a bad path now. That's yeah. Crazy. So we're going to rob them. We're going to kill them. This yeah. Is the only All the rationalizing that quickly comes behind that is just in, and he was basically friends with those guys. Right. And so, you know, with that being said, Dr. Scudder and Jelly obviously didn't see this coming at all. I mean, they're thinking, hey, these guys are wow. our friends. I'm, I'm going to leave that. You threw me a softball. Shut up. So December 16th, 1982, Tony West, Avery Brock, and some other friends, Joey West and Teresa Hudgens, decided they were going to go hang out at Corpsewood. And it just so happened that Joey and Teresa, I guess, were a couple and they were dating. And uh, I guess Joey's vehicle was, you know, out of commission. And they wanted to go, like, ride around, but they didn't have a car. So they agreed to go with Tony and Avery because they didn't have a vehicle. So they're like, ah, we'll go party and hang out and, you know, get out of the house. Oh, and no. Spend time together. So they were just kind of, like, along for the ride. That and sucks. And weren't really aware of this plan, it seems, with Tony West and Avery Brock. So just sort of, I guess, in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of stuff. So upon arrival, you know, Scudder was his usual hospitable self serving wine in the pink room. Um, everybody's hanging out, having a good time. Um, the the friends, uh, Tony West, Avery Brock, Joey, Teresa, they were passing around something called Toodaloo. Are you uh, familiar with this? Oh, no. What what does that do? Well, well, the kids are calling it Toodaloo, Dylan. And it's a mix of paint thinner and glue. And you put this on a rag and you huff it. Ah, uh, yeah. Never been, I've never been a huffer, never knew any huffers. Yeah, that's just really strange to me. But it's, um, you know, everybody's, a lot of people's tried different things. That doesn't mean anything, but yeah, I've never. Well, it means you've probably killed some brain cells. I've never experienced that. So passing around the toodaloo. Woohoo! I like the name. Yeah. So at one point, Avery left the room. He went down the ladder out to the car and said he was going to go get some more toodaloo for everyone and and from what i gather um dr scudder wasn't engaging he he like didn't do drugs you know he wasn't into that scene but he would drink he would drink his wine so he's drinking uh these folks are partying with the drugs he's like cool whatever i'm gonna go get some you know that's fine no big deal so he actually goes to the car and gets a rifle that he had borrowed earlier that day from his mom and i guess it was a rifle that had belonged to his father and then he came back upstairs to the pink room and uh, ordered Dr. Scudder to his feet. And Scudder was then threatened with a knife. They bound him, gagged him, and then they marched him into Corpsewood Manor. So they really think they're doing something at this point. Yeah. Score of the life. Score of a lifetime. So when he gets into Corpsewood Manor, he finds his partner, Joey Odom, I guess, dead on the floor. 
along with his two dogs, the English Mastiffs. Yeah, I saw uh, where their name was. What is that? Baphomet? Is that? I can never say that, babe. Why can't I say that word? Because you're special. Because I'm so because I'm, I'm so pure. Okay. But um, Baphomet and um, gosh. I lost the other one there. It was a Lovecraft character, artisan, something like that. Okay. <laughs> so his partner and the dog's dead. And Tony West and Avery Brock threatened. They beat Dr. Scudder. They were, like, asking where the money is. They were demanding, you know, cash. Where's your safe? We know you've got money. Um, they ransacked the house. You know, they're making him step over the body of his companion of many years, his dogs. Um, you know, and he's trying to explain to them that, hey, I don't have any anything. money here. Like, yeah. I promise, I really don't have anything here in the house. And now this is kind of a weird thing. So earlier that day, Dr. Scudder had been playing his harp. And he had this portable stereo and recorded himself playing the harp and reciting words to William Blake's The Tiger. And it was going to be a gift for a friend. And so as these two are tearing down the house, trying to find this hidden treasure that they think is somewhere in Corpsewood Manor, they accidentally hit play on the stereo. And this is like something out of a movie. Dr. Scudder's voice boomed out the soundtrack, basically, as the scene is unfolding. So he's looking over. There's his dead lover. His dogs are dead. He's tied up. These guys are beating him. They're yelling at him. They're robbing him. They're basically just, you know, tearing his house apart. Yeah, you were playing that earlier. It's just kind of creepy. Yeah. And I've got actually part of that, which we will play here in just a few minutes. But ultimately, you know, they didn't find anything. They didn't find a single thing as far as money. I mean, they just, it was like a bust. And they ended Dr. Scudder's life. They shot him several times. They tried to round up whatever few valuables they thought they had. And like I said, there were some antiques in the house that were actually probably worth, you know, quite a bit of money. But these two guys being kind of... Goobers. Goobers, yeah. That's a, that's a good term. I like yeah. that word, goober. We don't use that as often as we should. But it really, it really is descriptive. Yeah, well, so these two goober nuts are just, <laughs> uh, you know probably like, oh, here's a tape recorder that's worth something when there's probably a $4,000, you know, table in the corner. Who knows? Yeah, move this really heavy, exotic-looking table out of the way so we can get that plastic cup. Well, then they stole Dr. Scudder's Jeep. He had, a like, a CJ5, I think, and it was, like, painted black and I guess had some pentagrams, like, stenciled on the doors and stuff. Dude. Yeah, I know. I want that Jeep. But they ended up stealing that and, uh, you know, getting away. And Dr. Scudder, I mean, you got to think about his last moments there, how, um, like, horrible that is. You know, you've got the grief of your loved one that's dead. Um, I don't know. Later, it would come out that Scudder's last words were, I asked for this. Almost as if saying that he was, like, taking responsibility for what was happening to him because he had allowed these two goobers into his life yeah for all we know his uh partner may have had discussions with him about because you know i'm sure people have gotten you know drunk and 
their gatherings out of hand. And, you know, maybe, you know, for all we know, they could have had that discussion. Like, you know, why do you let these people come around here like this? You know, yeah, it could have happened. But that's sad. Yeah, it is. And so then the guys, I guess they, you know, hit the road and try to, uh, to, to run, you know, run away. And eventually, um, you know, it comes out. These are the two guys. Um, I believe Teresa Hudgens went and turned herself in, told the story. Yeah. You know, they're looking for these two fellas. I think one of them ended up like in Austin, te- went to Austin, Texas or something. Um, I think it was Avery Brock that turned himself in first. Like he eventually came back home, turned himself in. And then um, Tony West was in Tennessee, I think in Chattanooga, where he was arrested. Eventually they found him, arrested him. So these guys were apprehended. They are serving life terms in prison. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of, cu- you know, a couple different trials, appeals. There was some battles over uh, the jurisdiction of the case, um, some different uh, legal procedure problems, admission of evidence, all of that. And there have been a couple of books written about the case. One of them is Daniel Ellis's book, Corpsewood, A True Crime Like No Other. And I guess there's a lot of information in there, especially about the trials and the appeal process. Uh, yeah, so I kind of um, checked that off earlier. No pun intended, but uh, his dog's names were Beezlebub. Oh, okay. Okay. And Arsenath. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, one name for a demon, the other for an HP uh, Lovecraft character. And local legend adds that the pair also summoned a real demon, which I blame all this on the real demon, because he was nowhere to help anybody when the shit went down, but summoned a real demon to assist the dogs in guarding the house. So do you think that uh, he summoned this demon and that's why he was murdered, or do you think that the demon was just like taking the night off and was being like a lazy fuck? Or maybe the demon was just sitting back watching it because he was like, eh, I'm not going to intervene. I think that they <laughs> were, um, you know, the the demon's contract had come up and they could not agree to terms. And he was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to kill people that come around here that try to kill you until we get this uh, labor negotiation. So what industry, you're telling me, sir, so the demon was, was, un- on strike. was unionized yes, and wanted a better dental plan. Yes. More vacation time. Less co-pays, more vacation time, and um, he wanted them to provide him with coffee, fresh ground coffee. And that's where he's going a little far. You know, that's when you're getting a little uppity with your demands. Fresh ground coffee every morning. So you're not just going to accept the Maxwell House any, anymore? No. You're like, we're not going to take this? No. I fully understand that. I've worked in an office with shitty coffee, and it is not fun. That's oh, horrible. Why do people drink it? <laughs> Why don't they just drink it like it's okay? I don't know, baby. There's your bonus content for the week right there. But in closing the story, um, there is actually a museum um, in the county where Corpsewood Manor is located. And you can go uh, tour, I guess, the museum and you can see the uh, ruins of the property and really? walk around. Yeah. You should go down there. I bet totally. it's not far from here, dude. Road trip. I think that's uh, some some summer fun for us. You know who else I want to see when we go down there? The Squidbillies. Oh, okay. They live in the mountains of northern Georgia. They do. Maybe and we I, can um, get a ride in early Kyler's truck boat truck. I love early, yes. <laughs> okay. 
Well, um, we would like you to join our Patreon, of course. We post a lot of bonus episodes there, a lot of content. If you sign up, even at the lowest level, you have access to some cool stuff. Um, our newest bonus, uh, Mountain Murders Afterthought, if you will, is on cults. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cults. interesting. We, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I was listening to that, and we are Southern, obviously, I'm sure, to anyone listening. And um, it got a little bit better the more we talked about it. At first, I do believe that people would think we were talking about young horses. Probably. Because it was cold. I know. It's hard to enunciate when you're from the South. Um, But it was interesting. It brought up some interesting uh, local yeah, we, to we the old local, the so that's pretty interesting. We also have a t-shirt campaign going on right now with bonfire.com. You can find the link for that on our Facebook page and also on Twitter. The really cool thing about this t-shirt campaign with Bonfire is that not only can you order and get a cool Mountain Murders podcast t-shirt. As a, they're really high quality shirts, though. It's yeah. not just a little, you know, cheap $5 you know, literally shirt. Yeah. shirt. No, exactly. A, you know, these are really nice. They like, are. We're going to, we're nice going to get one. And stuff. So, um, the cool thing about bonfire is they do fundraisers for folks. So not only will you purchase this t-shirt, but a portion of the proceeds are going to come back to Mount murders, which in turn helps us with our production quality. Yes. Upgrading equipment, nice. hosting. We, of course we are a, a, a self, made podcast so we, we are appreciate any help we can get for that even uh just a couple bucks a month is awesome and again find us on facebook and twitter under mountain murders and we also uh, like those five-star reviews so wherever you listen to your podcast um, feel free to leave us uh, a five-star review oh uh, yeah didn't you get us a couple new spots there um i to um i heart radio we're on i heart radio um google play and Castbox. and um Yes, that's awesome, guys. And uh, again, Spotify and Apple, of course. This was a little rough around the edges. We just kind of decided, actually, not very long ago, she started digging through her notes, and uh, we were talking about, you know, the stories. A lot of people bring up great ones. There's so many good ones out there, and uh, and uh, we got kind of excited about it, and um, we just jumped on here. But yeah, our number one priority is uh, to improve you guys' experience. And that's going to be uh, we want to you know upgrade some equipment and uh, get some equipment. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, we're we're trying real hard here with a a little baby operation, and uh, we just want to make it better for you guys. And uh, we really appreciate um, our patrons. That's very that means so much to us. The fact they'll give up even a quarter of their hard earned money because we knows how we know how hard it is. And we uh, love the, you all. The, the plight of the blue collar man. Yes. Is that what you're giving and us? Um, we love our listeners and our friends. And uh, our, had, I know we've had so much positive support from from people. Um, you know, yeah, we constantly yeah. get positive feedback, and we really do appreciate it because we do. This is definitely a labor of love. We do, and um, it's um, it's mostly me doing all the labor while Dylan collects the love, but that's yeah. fine. But she, I have a process. You do? Uh, yeah, I have a process. Because, I mean, come on. Sleep cocking. That, I mean, you don't just, you don't find that. You don't look that up. That's organic. That's natural. You have to just let that come to you. Okay. Okay. So, these, uh, they appreciate it. But anyway, we love you guys. Gosh. Our Facebook page, Mountain Murders, is really fun. If you're not there, come on and buy and like the page. And we talk crazy. Not real crazy. It's funny. And uh, 
A lot of good stuff going on there. Oh, um, just a little surprise. Uh, I have to ban someone. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I'm thinking about... You, what, got, you got your first ban? Yeah I, I, yeah, I do. I have to ban someone. It's sad, but I knew it was coming. And... Um, See, you give them a little bit of authority, and it just goes right. No, I, I just hoped I never would have to do that, that people would self-police and people would, yeah, we got, you know. This is almost like a great social experiment. Yeah. See, we, like, give the power to the people, and then we just, like, stand back and, like, watch what they do with that. Well, just with that. the with it being true crime mixed with, you know, horror fans and all this stuff. It's not people you want to mess with, basically. And guess what, guys? I don't know if you know this, but it is three-quarters women. Okay? Most true crime, everything. So you better not jump so out there. you know your demographic is what you're saying. Yes. Do not trip. And, um, yeah. So we're, we're so going to... So we had a guy who was saying some inappropriate things. Yes. Apparently, every post, I'm not going to... Every post that we put up about what would you... Your last meal before you executed... Uh, what well, you would can you, just imagine where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing to eat? You know, if you had to be, you know, stuck in a zombie apocalypse. Well, this guy has an insati insatiable desire for romance. Let's just say that. He oh. cannot get enough. But apparently he's single according to his profile, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. Maybe you... Okay, Dylan's like stretching while we're doing this. Yeah, I just got a thigh cramp, guys. Sorry. Like doing yoga in the middle of the podcast. Okay. It's not Well, pretty. with that, oh, we I'm hope you have a... Oh, my God. Please stop. I can't watch this. Have a safe and happy fourth. And again, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to Mountain Murders. And we'll be back soon with a brand spanking new episode. Bye. Stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears. Did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? <laughs> <laughs>